Hello, my name is Barney, and welcome to Moments of Clarity. What? An episode released on Wednesday instead of Sunday? Well, today I'm changing up Moments of Clarity a little by releasing a bonus episode. This was inspired after a great conversation I had with my mate Kyle about everything and anything. I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we recorded that? So that evening, we did. We didn't relay our conversation from early in the day, but used it as a springboard to explore some of our own thought processes. I'm actually hoping to do this more often, and as you will see in the title, these episodes will be bonus episodes entitled A Yarn with Barn, where I have informal discussions with a friend rather than the slightly more formal conversations I usually have with guests. I do a fair bit of ranting in this one, so you have been warned, but I think there are some gems throughout the chat that you may find of interest. Kyle and I have been friends since early high school and have been close ever since. I spent three months in Southern Africa with Kyle as my first overseas trip in 2010 and have navigated much of my adult life with Kyle by my side. We have both changed quite a bit from those 21-year-olds travelling across the world, but I am pretty proud of who he has become. I think you will find Kyle pretty switched on and insightful, as well as very genuine. You may also have noticed that I have joined the online world of social media. Please find me on Facebook or Instagram at Moments of Clarity Podcast or on Twitter at Barney MOC. So without further delay, I bring you a yarn with Barn and Kyle. G'day, Kyle. Welcome to Moments of Clarity. Hello, mate. How are you, Barney? Yeah, really well, mate. It's good to have you. Introduce yourself for the audience. People don't know you. I know you really well. You're my best mate. We've gone to South Africa together. We went to school together. For people at home that have no idea who you are, what's just a couple of points about you that you'd like to share? Big first up question. My name is Kyle. I am a father of a one and a bit year old with my loving partner, Lucy. Yeah, we went to school together. I work for a university and just recently uh, moved back to Melbourne after a couple of years down the coast and what an interesting time to uh, move back. It's, it's funny because we sort of moved to, uh, we moved and then we're a bit isolated from everything. So then moved back and then uh, next thing you know, everyone's forced to self-isolate. So um, we've been in, in practice, which is good. Um, but yeah, from what I hear, not everybody else is uh, as attuned to this living as maybe what we are. Yeah, we had a chat today about thriving in the time of this COVID pandemic. And that is not what we're hearing and seeing when we look outside our windows and on the news and however we get our news and whoever we do actually talk to, we're finding that there's a lot of anxiety and and people that aren't coping as well as we are. So first of all, what are you doing to cope? How do you find that you're coping? And second of all, why do you believe that people are struggling with isolation right now? Um, oh, I mean, me personally, I'm not doing a great deal. I'm not really putting, I didn't, haven't put many measures in place that I was doing previously, that I wasn't doing previously, sorry. I know I harp on this a lot, you'll know that, but I guess the only child, being an only child is, gears you up for this in some ways. But I think, yeah, what am I doing differently? Routine is important. You know, making sure that things are happening 
Um, what do you mean by routine? Because if you're not going to work, you're not able to go to the shops, you're not able to go to the pub on a Friday or watch the footy, what sort of routine are you talking about? Are you talking about creating a new routine or trying to keep your old habits alive? What do you mean? Because I hear that a lot. Yeah. I guess it's just finding joy in the small things is what I'm finding. And I think touching point or um, being present with those periods throughout the day, it might be, you know, for me, when Sonny is about to go to bed, you know, there's a routine, there's a, there's a process, there's a step-by-step sort of mechanism that we do. We love patterns. We love repetitive things as humans. And I think I've never been one who's been big on routine, never, until uh, having a child. And then you sort of, you realise how good it is for us. And I think I've realised that through having a kid that they like structure and maybe I just thought, oh, that's something that, you know, that's just, I don't like that. I like to sort of, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow type thing. But through having a kid has made me realise that it is beneficial. It can be hugely beneficial. And in times like these, when we sort of, don't really have much variance in our day-to-day, I think that being present in the repetitiveness, there's some nice, there's some niceness in that, you know, like there's a lot of distractions in our world today. So bringing things back to the fundamentals is nice in some ways. Like, you know, if you get a chance to go out and walk and it's a nice afternoon lately, that's a highlight of most people's days. You know, I spoke to a few people that going out and just getting, you know, doing the coffee run is probably the biggest venture out other than that and groceries. So, yeah, I don't know. Just going for a walk around the block is pretty exciting at the moment, which is something, you know, there's something in that. We need to realise that the world is wonderful and you don't have to be doing things that have never been done before or, you know, like shock you to your core for it to be exciting. There's excitement everywhere. You just have to, it's just mindset, I guess. Yeah. For me, uh, my routine, I'm thriving. I guess the thing is that it's holidays, school holidays. And as a teacher, I often forget that, well, I forget that this period has really only been taking place since I've been off from work about two weeks, two weeks now. So that gives me maybe a deluded view of what's actually happening. I'm able to be on holidays, still get paid, not be affected by anything external, but really thrive with the time that I've been given at the moment. For example, simple things like being able to stay in, wash and stain the gates that have just been put up or put up a year ago. I never got around to doing it because I just haven't had the time. Now I'm doing it, doing the garden, about to pick the olives from the olive tree, you know, in the backyard, doing those simple things. And I'm lucky and and privileged in a way to be able to have a big backyard and a, a space to be able to do all of that. But it's really allowed me to have time to just do sort of mundane tasks. But during that time, putting on a podcast, putting on some music or or just nothing at all and just thinking, relaxing, you know, just being in the moment. A lot of people are struggling against that and haven't yet been able to put themselves in holiday mode almost or put themselves out of that daily stress, that rat race that we all have that keeps, you know, run from A to B to C and repeat. And people thrive on that normally. And I asked you before, you know, what, what is it that's causing the angst amongst most people at this time or many people that we, we talk to? And is it that they just haven't been able to remove themselves from the busy 
lifestyle and mindset that they've been led to believe is the most important thing that they can do, be busy. Everyone loves to be busy and, and prove that they're busy. So is that maybe where we, we can begin with unpacking? And the reason I want to unpack is not to judge people, but to understand, am I, am I in such a different position? And you as well, you know, being happy in this situation, are we in such a different position from everyone else that we're, we're deluded in this or that we're, we're different? I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around that. And I just want to preface that when we talk about thriving in the time of COVID, that we're not in any way diminishing the hurt and harm and heartbreak that death, disease, sickness, uncertainty, job loss, economic suffering, the mental health issues that are starting to occur, we acknowledge all of that. But this is trying to unpack our story and also unpack maybe some of the lessons we can learn from others and maybe give to others as well what we can teach. I think we're both people who acknowledge a great deal of struggle and suffering and pain that goes on in the world at any given day, let alone in this time. So, yeah, we understand that this is taking place and that is part of it. But I don't, yeah, you said like be happy in this. I think we've got to find our happy or find happiness in sort of our current circumstance. But I was thinking about it today after our conversation and I think, what is it, you know, because so many times we say to people, oh, I just don't have time. Like all those things that you just reeled off that you finally got time to do, a lot of people all the time pre, you know, this sort of existence would have been like, oh, I just don't have time to do it. I just, where am I going to find the time? And now, funnily enough, when we have more time than ever, people are losing their minds. So you think, what is it? Where does it sit? Is it the fact that we are fearful of choice? Is it, is it that simple? Like we... I don't know, like now that, and yeah, we don't have a lot of choices, you know, we can't go to the movies and go to a bar and do all those things in that context, but we have time to direct our attention in different areas, but it's almost, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's the opposite of too much choice, maybe we like to be told what to do, and maybe that's part of the problem, maybe part of the problem is the tick box thing, you know, picket fans, 2.5 kids, you know, this is all the things that I should achieve in life to be happy, to be content, all this stuff. But, and as we find, you know, famous people, people that have achieved all these things in life, they get to all those things and then it's not what it seemed. And I think we feel that on the spectrum all through society, whether it's the person who always wanted to be a kindergarten teacher or a teacher, you know, or whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but it's very interesting that for a collective of living organisms that complain that how we just don't have enough time, now we've been given all the time in the world and we're losing it. Well, there's something in that, you know, like what is it about this current state, What the difference between our normality and this, why now where we've got sort of, I don't know, I guess we're left to our own devices and you know, I'm a big believer that we don't have a great skill set through how humanity has progressed in really dealing with emotions in a meaningful level. And I think that's what people are feeling, all the feelings, you know, like uncertainty, tenseness. These are all feelings at the end of the day. And I think people are struggling with where to put those feelings, how to express them, how to process them, how to talk about them in a basic sense. And that's this is a shared experience this should be one thing that we should be really 
it should be quite easy to talk about this because it's not like someone who was a recovering drug addict and you weren't and you're trying to talk to that person about what it's like to be a recovering drug addict. You know, this is a shared experience. We're all, yeah, different elements of where we come from and our experience, but it's still the same topic of conversation. And I think we are seeing it. You know, it's not all, not everybody's losing it. Like there's pockets of social media that's, you know, really come alive, which is nice to see. And I think something like social media, I mean, we we don't know yet, but like we would have been even more isolated if it happened in a time where we didn't have social media. So I think that has to be a, you know, even this where, you know, Zoom, this wasn't 10 years ago, wouldn't have been the, the capabilities that we have. So it's an interesting time, but I do think, if anything, it's got to be a time for reflection. Like you said, you know, doing those mundane tasks and the niceties in a mundane task is that you, your mind can wander. That's where lots of thinking happens. Normally that's where creative thinking happens. That's where lots of uh, good thinking happens when you almost lose your sense of self. We don't want to be doing the mundane thing worrying about will we be doing the mundane thing forever maybe we've got to realise that it's not so mundane. Yeah, I love that. Any uncertainty can be confusing and confronting, I guess. That's where it comes from. It is uncertainty. We still don't know if we're going to be told in two weeks everything's back to normal or if it's going to take six months or 18 months or whatever it may be. People do have strong connections with other people and connections that maybe that they're struggling without being able to see the people that they rely on. So there's all of those. Well, I want to go back towards a point that you made about the tick boxes and the check boxes. And this is something we always talk about and I mention a lot that I guess this was more relevant when I was going through my, I guess. Unraveling. The unraveling, the debunking of the self that I, that I went through for, you know, 18 months, two years. And you were a big part of that. And we chatted most days about everything that, and we've been going through similar situations over the last two, three years, I guess, of trying to, well, from being in a place where just life happened and we just took it for what it was and went from A to B and good things would happen, bad things would happen and didn't do much reflection on it. You know, we're blokes. We don't really feel or think too deeply about it. And we're ticking boxes along the way. This is what it was. You know, we've been told to finish school. We did that. We've been told to make good friends. We did that. We've been told to get a, a girlfriend. You know, we did that. You've had, had a kid, I mean, a bit more recently than that, but all these things along the way that, you know, having a job, have, going traveling, uh, being a part of a sporting team, having success in life and just everything that gets thrown at you as, as uh, a success and, oh, you should be happy. You've done that. You've done this. And we started more and more, or at least I did, realizing that I wasn't happy or these things weren't satisfying me. These things weren't satisfying. They're not only are they an individual act, but they are a, they, they, they were things for me. And then I realized there's got to be more to life than this. And I remember always talking about, and, I, and I've probably spoken about this, the insurance policy on regret. So I'm so risk averse in life generally that I wish I could take a, an insurance policy out against regret that when I'm 60 or 70, I'm going to look back on life and say, why didn't I do this? Why, why didn't I just take that leap when I could have at the age of 30? Or 
why did I choose to do this? Why did I choose to put myself in a situation that I had a 30-year loan or, or whatever it might have been? You know, when you're lying on your deathbed or even before that, when you're, when you're sitting back and you've retired and you've got your little pile of money and you've got a few memories and hopefully a few friends and whatever, a place over your head, and you say, that's my only life just there. That was all I had. And did I make the most of every second of it? Or was I sitting back and hoping things would happen to me, that someone would come and tap my shoulder and say, you're doing well, kiddo, or this is what you do next. And the debunking of the self was that point when I said, no one's doing this for me. No one's going to come and tap your shoulder and say, this is the way forward. It was up to me. And that actually destroyed me for a while and destroyed my sense of everything. But then slowly, slowly building the foundation of me as a strong individual, but also reliant on the people that I love and the, and the structures around me that I love. But really, I am in control of my future in many ways. I am the director of this play. I'm not just an actor on the stage being told what to do. And yeah, we can't change everything. Yeah, we can't reset the film and start from scratch or we can't change the world and the structures of everything that that the confines that we live in but we can make really brave and bold decisions that help us be happier and happier doesn't mean you know I've bought a new car you know we we often try to fill the hole with stuff and even travel or experiences based on the fact that you're ticking that box but really what makes you content or happy or at least um having a lack of suffering, the stripping away of suffering is when you realize that you are, you have beliefs, you have thoughts, you have, you have experiences that matter and you're starting to live those and you're starting to choose to live those and you're starting to impact others with your vibrance and with whatever you're giving and people start searching for you. And it's not about fame and, you know, being the the provider of wisdom, but just searching to be around you because you're giving off an energy or a glow or a, a happiness. And then that's sort of your, your success. Are people coming to you complaining and gossiping and hoping that you'll feed their negativity or are they coming to you for hope and, and being a ray of sunshine and, you know, or just a bit, a bit of clarity or even just to talk because they know you listen and you provide space as you often talk about. So that's, I guess, the basis of that ticking the boxes. And then you were talking about how people, yeah, are probably finding it difficult to remove themselves from the ticking the boxes way of life or the the being told what to do. What is success? It's waking up at six, going to the gym for 45 minutes, having a shower, going to work, reading the paper on the way to work, um, going to work, doing your job for the day, greasing up to the boss, coming home, cooking a nice meal, watching some sort of reality TV show with your, your family or whatever and tuck them into bed and, and away you go to bed or maybe you watch uh, uh, If Only Sports Tonight was on, you know, anymore, you know, back in the good old days. But, um, you know, you just do that and you fall asleep and you repeat five days a week wishing for the weekend, hoping, praying, you know, everyone's always saying, oh, thank God it's Friday or Monday's the worst day of the week or hump day, you know, talking about this work week that we apparently hated. And now that we're in a situation where this work week is disrupted or we've got more time at home or we're working from home so the commute time's over, then all of a sudden people have forgotten that they were wishing away time from Monday to Friday 
wasting time by drinking and, and being hungover most of the weekend or whatever, you know, whatever else it might be. And then waiting for the next holiday or waiting for that trip or, or, you know, whether it's the next summer or whether you've got a trip planned for 10 years time or whether it's your Christmas camping trip, whatever it might be, people are always wishing and looking to the to ahead. And right now, those wishes of what's ahead is now I want COVID to be ended without realizing there's a present that you've got so much that you can achieve and so much that you can be and so much that you can give as well to others. And what a what a time to be alive, to to be given a little bit of space and a little bit of a pause button to really reflect another word that you said. So that's where I'm coming from and a little bit about our chat from earlier today. So where do you stand on all that? Yeah, a lot of good points. I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like basically all all our prayers have been answered. Need more time, need more time. Um, and we've been given all the time and... It's interesting what you said about the, like all the things that people do or choose to do, travel, leisure, let's call them leisure activities, pleasurable devices, whatever, they do because the outcome of that is you're supposed to be happy. It's supposed to increase pleasure or in some capacity. It's meant to be enjoyable. But if you're always doing those things that you're almost being told you're meant to get this feeling out of, there's a chance that when you're actually experiencing them, you're not actually thinking about what you're experiencing. Because, I mean, I can just see it in my head now, like, oh, how did the holiday go? Yeah, it was good. Oh, was it like I heard this happened? Oh, well, of course it was good. Like, it has to be good. I went to the holiday. Holidays are good. Like, I did it, therefore it was good. It's like, yeah, but was it actually good? Like, you know, so many things that we do, and that goes into the tick boxes in that do we, maybe we, it's what I said to you today, maybe we don't even want to put a tick box. I don't even want to fill in a form. You know, like the dance that I want to dance, is no, there's no ticks and there's no boxes. So in, with that example, somebody's created that form. You know, you're in the foyer of life and you've taken the pamphlet at the door and, and you're filling in the form. It depends on which form you got. Maybe it's, you know, it's divvied out in social economic status or something, depending on how many tick boxes you get. But if you're ticking all the things that are meant to make you happy, then are you putting much thought into what you want to put on the form? You know what I mean? Like just because that thing that has so much behind it, which could be, you know, advertising, all these things at play that is potentially telling you what an experience should be and just because it's popular or it's deemed to be normal doesn't mean that that is what it is for you and I think that's because this is what we're talking about effectively we're talking about the status quo you know doing the norm going along with the flock following the herd and I think what people need to realize that, that if you just be you and run your own race then there are others that are going to run a similar race and you will naturally find the people that you should find rather than trying to fit in. I've always found that weird, you know, like I guess, you know, I haven't always found that weird. I've, I've wanted to fit in many, many times. I still do it at times. But knowing that it's almost counterproductive to the process because if you're trying to be a certain way or do a certain thing because, A, it says on the wrapper that it's meant, you know, the ingredients is 100% happiness. If I drink this, it has to make me happy. 
But what about if you don't like that flavor? Like it doesn't mean that's what you're going to get. So I think being being present, you know, in the, like what you said, it's before we were wishing for the weekend, wishing for more time. Now that time is we've been waiting at this, we're on the train, waiting for the station of more time and we've just passed it and now we're, we're off and we're, there's just only, we've missed the, the more time, we're on the stop of, of all the time in the world and now we're like, oh, damn, I wish we went back. No, yeah, more time's no good. I actually want just two stops a go, please. And it's just like, well, what the hell? What do we want? We don't even know what we want. Yeah, that's that's the big thing. We don't know what we want. People don't really stop to think about what they want. And even goal setting, and I, I struggled so much with goal setting for so long, getting caught up in, oh, they say to set goals, so let's set goals. And, you know, I'm going to be on this amount of money. I'm going to lose this amount of kilos. I'm going to, whatever it is. I'm going to learn to play the guitar, whatever. And you go, are they things that I think that I'll want to have when I've got it or are they truly making me the best person I can be? And we've got to move away from New Year's resolutions and goal setting for the sake of it towards understanding and unpacking and unraveling your values and what makes your being special, what makes you smile, what makes you tick don't just remember when you're 55 that you went on that trip when you were 22 and you met this amazing monk on the, the foothills of the Himalaya and you had that chat and you, you prayed or you meditated and it was the best and you've lived that once for 10 minutes on a Kentucky tour and you never went to find it again. You never tried to bring that into your life at all. You just said that was something cool that I did when I was young because young people get to do things before responsibility hits, before I'm wrapped up in the rat race or the time or the system or the debt or whatever it is. And if you just sat back at any interval, if you're 65 right now, do it right now. If you're 31, if you're 15, do it right now. Yeah, there's going to be things in the way. Yeah, you're not going to be successful straight away. It might take years of fighting your past experiences and, and the, uh, the conditioning that you've been brought up in. But eventually you'll start surfacing and, and coming out into the light. You know, that sounds a bit cliched and, and, you know, whatever, but you're eventually going to be in a spot where you're the commander of your life in a way that isn't stepping on anyone else that is in harmony with others and in harmony with nature too, which is imperative to actually making it work. You should get that on a t-shirt. Which bit? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> um, what a t-shirt. You would, you'd have to go pretty close with my ranting. That's a, it's a, it's a quadruple XL. Um, no, I think if anything from this experience that we're currently living in, a time of, of, of COVID, which we don't know if it's going to be, like you said at the start, like is it, are we in the middle of it? Are we just at the beginning? Are we through the end? We don't know how long this period of time is going to take. But I think when it's all said and done, I would hope that people realise that the power of choice, you know, that the power of the fact that I don't have to tick those tick boxes or I can only tick every second or I can write my own list, you know, or whatever because that's what I truly believe is going to make any meaningful change in this world is for human beings on an individual level 
to realise what they can do. You know, even if you think about sometimes when you're on the couch and you can't be bothered getting off the couch, like, or to do the the chore that you know needs to be done and then you do it and then you're doing it and you're like, oh, God, it wasn't that easy. Like, you just you just finished it and you're on autopilot. You didn't even think about not enjoying it or hating it. You just did it. And I think sometimes that's just, that's life. Like, you look at so many people who are successful in any capacity, whatever that term means to you, and quite often they just do things. And normally the first nine things out of ten they do fail because that's part of the process. That's part of learning. That's part of getting better at things, ensuring that you don't fail the next time. That is that is literally life. Like having a baby has made me, like, you know, Sonny's just sort of walking now and it's just... It's like the simple thing of walking is just getting up and falling over consecutively until you can walk. And if you just apply that logic to anything that you really, really want to achieve, like you watch his face and he desperately wants to stand. Like he's and he, every, every baby does it. They will do whatever the hell they can to make sure they stand. No matter how many times they bang their head or they hurt themselves, they will always try to stand again. So I think all of this deep, deep-seated I don't know. I sort of believe it to be fear in some capacity, but it's it's learnt. It's all learnt behaviour. Potentially some of it is genetics, maybe it's passed on, some of it. But, yeah, a lot of this stuff is not innate in us, so it can be unlearned as well. What is having a kid actually done to shift your perspective and this is probably the biggest question you can be asked but (laughs) what did when when you found out lucy was pregnant and to the point that you're at now are you a different person are you a different beast (laughs) oh a different a different uh insert any word there um it shifts and everyone's obviously different everyone's experience of having a child is is different in its own respects. But I think if I was going to sort of throw a blanket over it in how it's changed my perspective, it would be that it's the single most important thing we do. It is the sole reason that we exist, full stop. If we couldn't have children, we wouldn't be talking today. Like if, if the human race couldn't continue to populate, we wouldn't have got here like we wouldn't have evolved into what we have and even the pregnancy and childbirth itself is just it's mind-boggling really and yeah I just think there's so many lessons to be learned in the experience and I don't I'm not I don't mean that like if you don't do it you haven't lived type thing like it's the only reason to live but I'm just saying when you do it if you choose to do it, and all the power to people who choose not to, um, we're not having any more kids, you know, we're stopping at one and that's a decision. A lot of people have many kids for, for many decisions, who knows. But I think much like I believe that um, this virus is can be sort of being a mirror to many things in society, to people's behaviours, you look at the panic buying, you look at how some leaders have reacted different ways if people are, you know, screaming at people for getting too close to them or, or whatever it is, it's, it's providing a mirror. And I think a, a child is the ultimate mirror. 
because they're just the little person in the room staring back at you when you are in all your facets of life, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're annoyed, when you're happy, when you're, and they just reflect back at you everything because all they have to go on is what they've learned, which is not much, and most of that is learned from you, from your expression, from your face, from how you sound, everything. So they just basically reflect it straight back to you. And I think there's a huge lesson in that. And if you pay attention to it, it can be quite confronting and quite meaningful though. You know, you can, you can learn a lot from being present with your kid and thinking, all right, how am I being to this little uh, sponge of a, of, a, of a life form that I have created, which is half me and half this person I love. And it's, it's bizarre. You see yourself in them. You see, you see your childhood in them as well. Like it brings up memories from, um, that you don't really remember, but because you're sort of a little bit of them, they do things that remind you of you and then it sort of flashes back to you and you're like, oh, God, I sort of remember that thing, but I don't. And, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And it does sort of sadden me that more of society isn't in some ways constructed around it because I think it is important. And all this thing, stuff that we've been talking about, conditions that you, you know, grow up in, conditioning, um, programming, and when I say that I'm not saying, you know, some people are, you know, in a room deciding on programming the populace. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about patterns of behaviour that becomes ingrained, I guess all has a huge impact from your upbringing. And if you believe that you really do desperately need to tick all those boxes on the list that we keep talking about, then your dad probably did or your mum may have. That was probably a learnt behaviour from your household or, you know, a combination of, you know, stuff you see around you. But I think, yeah, we can sort of almost give our, the children, give the, the next generation young people we can set them off on a better footing than we do currently, most definitely. And that's me speaking from a very, very privileged position. Um, I'm sure that people do it very, very tough. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. But I think a lot of the time when it's not easy for the parent, the most neglected person is the smallest person in the room. And whether we think that, oh, they're just a baby, they'll forget, that's all uh, nonsense. And it's been proven now, you know, with science child psychology lots of stuff is proving that yeah we might not necessarily have a memory a visual memory of um something when we were a baby for example but neural paths are being created when you're a baby so you can't tell me that that's um not going to be impacted or you know profound sometime later in life so it's one of those, it's sort of like love, I guess, having a baby. If somebody's never felt love before, you can't really explain it to them. That's sort of, yeah, how I think about it. It's sort of, it's a very shared experience. You know, when you become a parent, you sort of, there's an all-knowing with other parents, which is sort of weird. But yeah, it's, it's good fun. The idea of the child as a mirror is a powerful one. I think that whether you have a child or not, always thinking that there's a mirror or someone watching you. And I don't mean because you're, you're in your room and you, you have a sneaky, you know, your little uh, bit of fun on your own and God's going to punish you for that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking just when you're angry and you're going around beeping your horn in a car at someone, what are you doing to that person's day? 
How are you making another person feel? What's the ripple effect of you having your minute of road rage? Yell at your partner or get frustrated about something that you haven't done that day and you project that upon another. What are you doing to them? What are you doing to yourself as well? When you decide that you want to get drunk, you know, drinking's fine, getting drunk's fine if, you know, it's with people and having fun and you're in control and whatever. But if you're at that point where you want to lose a bit of control and you get into a fight or you have that extra couple of shots at the end of the night and you're, you're going to miss your child's dance rehearsal the next morning or whatever it might be, these are the moments where it pays to be mindful and just to have that idea of the mirror in front of you. You know, when you're making choices, what, what effect am I going to have and how am I going to feel after that? And even just being alone and, and as you said, you know, you're sitting on the couch and you do I open the packet of chips or do I go for a walk? If I was strong, I would, I'd go for the walk, but I'm weak, so I'm going to open the, the next packet of chips or biscuits and, you know, eat it and then feel horrible afterwards. I'm talking about the negative. If you want to eat a packet of chips because you've been so good for 10 weeks and that's your time, do it by all means. You know, don't feel guilty about every decision you make, but just think about what you want and the people around you that rely on you want. Hold that mirror up and almost, yeah, project what that's going to look like. And I've done it before where I've channeled maybe my, yeah, my upbringing or, you know, an, an angry moment and I've done something and I pictured me as a kid and the way I felt w- with an outburst of anger from someone like my mum my or my dad or an uncle or whoever and I'd be like, wow, I'm now making whoever I'm with scared or upset. So anger is something that I've I've dealt with because of, I guess, being a part of a family that, you know, went through a fair bit my parents went through their own things and and lived a life that they went through and and struggled to come to terms with a lot. And being three boys, you know, in a household that struggled, uh, it's, it's a lot better these days, but may have struggled. You know, you have that little bit of angst and uncertainty and unpredictability that comes with that. And when you, when you, when you figure that out, it's up to you to then say, well, I actually can be the circuit breaker here and I can be the one that stops this cycle or I can be the one to continue it. But then I know the outcome of that. How do I feel going into a house where there's yelling or that there's silence and, and tension? You know, it doesn't feel great. It feels much better to get a big smile and a, and a hug or a, here's a freshly squeezed bit of orange juice, mate. Enjoy, you know, whatever it might be. So, and, I, and another thing that you said, and this time being a time of reflection, is I saw, now my balcony overlooks my backyard and then beyond that, the house behind. And the father at the back, who's they seem like a great family and they and they do a lot with their kids anyway, but I saw him cut getting the kids in the backyard, sitting on a stool each, smiling, you know, a bit of music going on and having a bit of a dance. And he was cutting their hair. And I've never seen that. I, I know that they don't get their hair cut in the backyard normally. So the fact that he's home and he's not going to work and he's able to not able to just go down, whip, uh, you know, whip down to the shops and get a haircut from the barber, you know, rush there, find a car park, quickly get in, do the shopping while you're waiting for 45 minutes for the haircut, whatever it might be. Instead, you've got your music and you've got this time for attention and love and time just to, to cut the kid's hair. And 
you're learning something. They're enjoying their parent who they look up to. All kids look up to their parents for a while. Many are disappointed <laughs> when they reach adulthood, but you've got that connection and this is the time to use that instead of complaining, oh, my kid, you know, they're running around the house and they're doing A, B, C and D. Teachers, how do you do it? You know, I, I handball them off to you all day and now they're here. Yes, I, I have no idea how hard it would be because I don't have a kid. I, I teach, but it's a very different circumstance. But maybe flipping that and saying, you actually wished last week that you got to spend more time with your kid. You you had that exact word that came out of your mouth. I wish I had more time with my kid, but I've got to work. I've got to provide food, put food on the table. Now's your chance. Now's your chance to do a puzzle together or build something in the backyard or go for the walk together, you know, be a family and and connect. And we just need to flip that, the perspective that we that we view things on. What a beautiful moment to be able to cut my kids' hair and spend time with them with music rather than bloody hairdressers are closed. I can't even get my kids' hair cut. I've got to bloody grab the scissors and do it. You know, the same act, very, very different outcomes. One of beauty and hope and and a memory for those kids potentially. Oh, remember the time in COVID? Dad had to cut our hair, but, you know, how cool was it? We got to do that and then we built a billy cart and went around the block with it and whatever. Or dad was so angry, he had to cut my hair. He just quickly did it and, you know, he cut his hand and he was screaming and swearing and blood was pouring out and, oh, my God, and just the same, you know, moment, choices, perspective. If you have the mirror, if you're thinking about what you're projecting, you will make the right choices more often than not. And once you've made a negative choice or a positive choice, don't gloat about it and say, I did that for the day, tick, gone, or I made that bad decision, I'm a shit person, see you later, I'm going to drink myself to to sleep or whatever. You say, next time, I'm going to make up for it, I'm going to apologize or I'm going to do it again. If it felt right and it was good and people around me felt good about it, do it again. If it didn't, apologize, reflect on it. And, and these are the lessons we can learn. And this time is perfect. We've had a, a pause on life. You're not running the race anymore because there, there is no race to run. We're in a state of flux here. Let's um, take stock and actually try to upskill on a personal level because it doesn't mean you have to learn 15 things because you have a bit of time. Just actually just sit maybe for a little bit and look into your kid's eye or your partner's eye or a Zoom conversation with your your grandmother that you can't see or whatever. Just just take stock and just realize that being on your own and being in your own mind and thoughts because you haven't done it for most of your life, you've never really allowed yourself to be, isn't that bad. And there's a lot to learn in there. And it is uncharted territory and it can be scary, but it's worth it. So yeah, the mirror, hopefully t-shirt worthy. Definitely t-shirt worthy. I guess, yeah, I like the idea of always sort of I guess you could apply that same sort of thought of in a decision or, you know, when you react or act and thinking about looking into the mirror, you could also just say thinking about yourself, you know, step out from yourself, you viewing you, if you didn't know who you were, you know what I mean? What would you think of that person? Would you judge their behaviour? Would you agree with their behaviour? Would you think, oh, that person's doing a good thing there, a good deed or doing that well or and that could be a a slippery slope a little bit because you could almost be judging yourself and that could go into to negative but I think 
yeah, just allowing ourselves space and, like you said, just to take stock and, and to just be. And, you know, I always say whenever I go to multi-day festivals, my favourite part of them is sort of just as sort of sunset when you get to go back to camp and you're sort of about to change into the, you know, the, the we put on warmer clothes because it's about to um, get cold and just that moment where you can exhale. And I think this is a time to just breathe, you know, and, and allow because quite often even in moments where, and some people do this more than others, but, you know, a very wise man said to you the best thing they could um, prescribe anyone would be 10 deep belly breaths. And I, I think that's, I'm a big believer in that catching yourself and then knowing when to breathe is almost better than breathing sometimes because you've allowed yourself just that time to catch yourself and be present with what's actually taking place in your body, in your feeling, what am I doing? It's like the mirror thing. It's the same sort of concept. But quite often in our busy normality, we do remember to breathe, but instead of doing the 10 deep belly breaths, we maybe do two belly breaths and then maybe one and a half and then we never actually do the 10 because by the time we get to 10, our thoughts have gone elsewhere and we're thinking about everything we need to get done or something like that. And I think the exhale is almost more important than the in-breath. You know, breathing is important because we want oxygen into our lungs. That's the vital part. But it's the exhaling where you feel the relief, you know. It's you want the air in because you need the air, but it's also the out where your body relaxes and it goes back to a, a state of almost default. And I think we carry a lot of tension in our body and a lot of unprocessed emotion. And that can be from like trauma or that can just be from just being, just thinking, not really ever going back to default, you know, and you see animals in the wild, like an antelope when it hears a, there was some documentary about it or something where they're like a lion, they'll hear a lion and they'll prop up, you know, and they'll, in a heightened state, like so still, ears pricked up, waiting, waiting, looking around, waiting for the lion, no, no lion. And then they go back and they sort of did it in slow motion, how their body goes from that heightened state of almost flight or flight and just goes back. And it's like their body just, you know, they just relaxed into their default. And they were feeling an emotion at that point. You know, they were whatever it was, fear, whatever, it was a heightened state of emotion. And then they allowed their body to process it and go back to just relaxed, chilled out antelope, chewing some grass. And I think as humans, we don't really give ourselves that, that opportunity very often to just be, oh, what's going on? Oh, my God, what's going on? Oh, nothing's going on. That's right. Oh, Whew. okay, yep, we're good. We're back. You know, we're always in that, oh, what's going on? Do I need to be aware of that? What have I got to do? Oh, my God, I forgot that thing. Uh, and it's like, whoa, like we're always just chasing our tail. And then the time when we actually get to ourself, which is at the end of the day on the couch, we just want to numb our mind and watch something distracting almost. And then we say, oh, we wish we had more time <laughs> in those moments when actually you've got time just then at that moment, but you haven't allowed yourself to come down to sort of, you know, some type of normality in your sort of, you know, in your being that you don't feel restful because your day's just been 
it's just been a, you know, everywhere. You haven't taken time in your day to just come back to whatever it is, whatever is breath, present. It could be, you know, I did a meditation workshop and the guy told me that every time he touches a doorknob, you know, every day if he ever goes through a door, he touches a doorknob and every doorknob he touches, he just makes sure he's like, okay, feel the doorknob. Like he doesn't stop and, you know, bow to it or anything like that. He just literally in the process of opening the door, he feels a doorknob in his hand. Yep, okay, oh, yeah, that's metallic. It feels quite cold, that one. Opens the door and that's just a, it's a mindfulness practice essentially. It's a tool, isn't it? It doesn't matter if it's a doorknob or anything else. It's just a tool that you use to realize that you need to be present, that you've probably been lost in thought for the last 30 minutes on your train trip and then walking. And then when you've touched that door, you go, hey, that's my little circuit breaker to say, no, I'm in control here. And and going back, you, you talked about the antelope and the antelope's ability to just go from I'm ready to run away from a ferocious lion that wants to eat me alive. Think about that. How many humans actually confront that? <laughs> and then from that heightened state, and we might get that because our boss is walking in the room and we haven't finished the work or we, you know, our a parent that we don't want to see or whatever it might be, you know, something really basic. If we just thought about it and said, no, oh, I'm in control here. The lion isn't going to eat me. That's the first point. But the, the other point is that humans, many, I think it was about 40 seconds an emotion lasts. You know, if you're really angry, the only reason you stay angry for a long time is you keep feeding the anger. You, you relive it. You're like, oh, I'll, next time I'll smash his face in or next time I'll say this, a witty comeback or, you know, how furious, you know, my ego has been hurt because of that person or that thing or whatever it is. And you just, you hold that and you hold that and you hold that. And then eventually your neck hurts and you've got a headache and you've eaten something bad or you haven't exercised or you missed out on the bus because you weren't thinking and your day just goes from bad to worse. But in reality, that was all you. You festered that. You were the infection on your body with anger. The anger itself is a quick heart rate up, adrenaline ready to, because we, we were animals that used to run away from lions. You know, we got to that point. And we just never let it go. And that is so damaging. And that's one of the leading killers of humans. You know, a lot of men die, die early and die of heart attacks a lot because they've never released that tension. And oftentimes it's at retirement age when people, a lot of men just drop dead horribly because they've never let go of the tension. And all of a sudden their, their heart's just like, all right, we're done. <laughs> And it's a horrible, horrible thing because they've probably been living all their life saying, I'm going to work for retirement instead of living in the now as well. That is so heartbreaking, the way we're living life right now. We're more isolated than ever in general. And maybe this COVID is making us realize that a little bit more, that yes, there's social media, yes, there's Zoom, yes, there's work and whatever, but to the village life is gone. The person that you know every time you go to the shops you know, it's quite rare to have that, especially in cities, to know the butcher, the baker, the person that tells, sells you the newspaper every morning, whatever it might be. You know, you know the principal by name at the school, you know your kids' teachers because you go to the pub with them or you do bingo or whatever it is. Now, <laughs> what is it? It's like everyone's a, everyone's a threat almost, the way people walk around and headphones in and head down and who's over my shoulder and what's going on you know, we're living in a state of tension all the time. So be as the antelope, feel those moments when you need to 
potentially fight, flight, or uh, freeze. And as soon as that's over, you let it go because you touch the doorknob or you take the breath or you you find yourself again. And that and that's so imperative to starting to end your suffering. For sure. And when you say suffering, like suffering is a is a very, very wide spectrum of, you know, you could suffer if you kick your toe on a on a tile. That's an element of suffering. Or it could be, you know, stress from something that you have to do at work. Like I think it's also just as this process is not a simple one and it's not one that comes very well. I can only talk from my experience and other people that I've spoken to. It's not something that is an easy fix. You know, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be dishonesty with yourself about potentially what is taking place, maybe what you think is taking place, because this is all, you know, we're asking of ourselves to be reflective of one's own behavior and patterns of behavior as well. You know, like that's for me, that's where it started. It's noticing something, you know, if you're, if you're that mirror, if there's a mirror, just, you know, figuratively speaking, following you around everywhere and you don't choose to look at it, it's upon those first few glances where you're like, oh, did I like what I see there? Okay, not quite ready to look back in that mirror. The mirror is still following me around on my day-to-day oh, what was I like there? I felt a little bit like this way that I don't really like if that's the way I was. Look it in the mirror. Yeah, actually, yeah, I I was right, you know. That's that thing that I recognised from last time that I felt in the moment that I may have done again and it didn't feel great and I think I could have been a bit better there or I think I could have handled that differently or, oh, was was I projecting? Was it an outburst? Was that warranted, you know? And then you're checking him in the mirror. But you can't change what you see in the mirror straight away. You have to have a good look. You know, you have to be able, you have to be willing to look is the first step. And then it's allowing yourself, also being kind to yourself, you know, like being kind that you're never going to like what you see. I mean, how often does anybody look in the mirror and be like, oh, yep, loving that. Like, it doesn't matter who, what you look like if you're a bloody, you know, Adonis. Um yeah, I think you have to be kind to yourself and allow yourself that we are all imperfect beings and we all make mistakes every single day, but it's about just being aware of the mistakes and turning them into lessons, just allowing space to, you know, be real with what's happened and, and also setting up people in your life that you really trust can be helpful as well, you know, people because a mirror is great. But when you look at it in a mirror, it's still your perspective, you know. It's still you thinking about what you're seeing. It's not actually someone else's perspective. It's a reflection. So sometimes it's, it's very beneficial and sometimes that's the process that it happens. You know, with me, that's, that's the way it happens many times. It's, it's my partner, it's Lucy, who, who makes me aware of certain things before I, some, a lot of times before I realise them. And that's another process of, you know, like almost putting your ego aside and being willing to listen and take on board what they're saying. But if you don't have that level of, I guess, respect for that person's perspective and opinion and experience as well, because they are also experiencing something. The other thing we have to remember is, like, you talk about anger. If we are outwardly expressing anger due to a reaction in something, chances are we're not thinking. 
we're not thinking during that effort there is not a lot of thinking happening it's just feelings and reactions so after the fact when you think back on what actually transpired or what you may have actually been or in your tone or whatever might be wrong and i think for a lot of people that takes a lot of time um i don't did for me as well like it takes a lot of time to realize that okay maybe everyone else in the room was experiencing something very different than what i thought was actually taking place because i was you know i was in a, a place where i wasn't present i wasn't being aware of what i was doing you know it's like what you said 40 seconds the emotion but if you keep feeding it how do you know what's going on if you're just filled with this whatever it is if it's adrenaline well then how the hell are you going to have any idea recollection of what actually transpired is probably not going to be very accurate but for everybody else who was somewhere closer to their you know their whatever their default or their center then yeah they maybe have a at least a perspective that is going to be valuable for you and i think that's sort of what i'm what i'm trying to get at is that you you need to get to a place where you should attempt to get to a place where it's like what's that thing that you say to me that i might not like that i do you have to be willing to let that let that on and sometimes that's not easy because nobody wants to hear bad things or you know negativity around how they do think or act but being open to that i've found is hugely beneficial and yeah it makes it a lot easier to uh, be aware of how you are in 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 the world it's amazing how little we know of ourselves i think and that just because we i guess have lived all the experiences we've lived we feel like everything is recollect the the recollections we have are, are perfect but oftentimes we've we've had something happen and then we've given it a reason or we've made excuses for our behaviors or we've actually made it seem like oh you know what that was good that that happened because now i i was able to have lunch with a friend or but it's like no 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 you really wanted that thing and you missed out because you didn't practice or don't just throw it away and say oh it's you know we're better off yeah that's good for your mental health in the short term potentially but and just prefacing this if there's a lot of people that have constant negative chatter in their mind and and they're constantly judging and they're constantly at it at themselves and they probably do this too much that they're constantly on each other's back and they're not just giving themselves a bit of a, a break so you've got to have that that sense of not feeling guilty and and like it's a burden to think of these things but just to be aware of them and say you know what I can't change anything I've done but if I've wronged someone or wronged myself I'm going to attempt to fix it or at least in the future if I can't fix that thing I'm going to do my best to ensure that next time's better and that's what we're talking about and and, and that is the way to get the hit and it and it's why uh, oftentimes therapy works but sometimes even someone that's not trained but just a, a sounding board someone to just give a different perspective they might not have any training and people say well you can't go to them because they're not a psychologist but they could be the hairdresser that you go to every set two weeks and, and they've just listen and they and you talk to them and you feel better every time and they might have a candle you know to the left and you and you say that's the candle that's doing it you know i'm going to get myself some of those candles but it's actually the fact that you're opening up for the first maybe the only time that you ever open up because you 
you don't really know this hairdresser. You see him every two weeks and it's an easy thing to do or your masseuse or whatever it is, you know. So basically being really open and honest with yourself and then having yourself picked apart by the people you trust and love. It's no good at coming from someone you barely know or someone that thinks they know you. We're talking about who you value and trust more than anyone. And the thing is that you've been on that journey for me and and the boys, you know, we've got what, seven, eight of us that are best mates. And we had the app Voxer that we were all on together for a long time. And it started because a mate went overseas and then it eventually became, uh, at times it, it probably was too much, but it became our, we, we went from just being f- guys that loved footy and sport and and drinking and going out and partying and whatever and, and you know, occasionally having a DNM or whatever, knowing each other fairly intimately to actually hearing our deepest, darkest secrets and thoughts and that we realised we've all had troubles with anxiety or depression or, you know, the jock or tough guy persona and exterior wasn't actually there for us all and we all uh, were living that and once we realized that we were all um whether we liked it or not maybe even subconsciously but when we all realized that we were all vulnerable and we have been vulnerable and we were able to be vulnerable together that was the first step and then the next one was actually listening and saying hey um you do realize that you say that you're you're not getting angry anymore but last week i saw you get angry in this regard and you're actually lying to yourself or when you say that you don't disagree in conversations, you know, whatever it is, you, you did that last week or you, you sit on the, on the fence or you're on your high, whatever, all of these things that hurt to hear. And we all have these traits that others see in us. It took, it takes time. And um, sometimes, you know, the change that we make cannot be seen by others. And, and we're frustrated because you're like, you don't notice the changes I've made and what I do behind closed doors. But at the same time, if you're projecting a certain way of being to your best mates, it's probably true to an extent. And I think that helped us in our ability to actually transform because we reflected on that and the ego was stripped away. And and if anything, you become much stronger for that. You're not just surrounded by this little fragile shell. And every time someone's about to go near it, you, you throw a punch or you run away or whatever. And not, I'm talking metaphorically, but potentially uh, realistically as well. But, you know, the don't touch my exterior, don't touch my shell. But when you've broken that shell yourself, you figured out how to put it apart. And then you start brick by brick building a, a really sturdy foundation for you to stand on. You don't need a shell anymore. You've got this beautiful base, you've got your foundations, your values, who you are, who you love, who you want to be ready. Yeah, you might take a blow. Yeah, you might get hurt. Yeah, you might do something you're not proud of, but you've got that base to fall back on and the people you love that are there to to prop it up as well and to help you rebuild when you need to. That is where you need to be. So the next T-shirt is dismantle the egg and build the base. <laughs> Who can we get onto? Do we, we know a T-shirt maker. We know a, we get Jesse on board and he can make these T-shirts. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we need a merch shop next for sure. Um, yeah, there's an interesting point you made about, you know, your, your nearest and dearest and people's opinions that you, you know, you love and trust and sometimes they can be the most difficult to hear. And I have learned 
that sort of is a is a trigger in some aspects that why that's a reaction you know if something gets to you if something that you say to me that oh that thing you do whatever and I'm not aware of it myself and that goes back to what we were saying before if I was aware of it myself and you told me I'd be much more receptive to what you have to say from that point on because I'm already aware of it you know I'm not you're not pulling it on me and I'm not like oh what no I don't do that no I'm not going to get defensive probably because I've I've already stewed on it a little bit but if I haven't my reaction to that so that thing that you say that triggers that reaction that's what you need to listen to things that trigger you the most are probably things that are worth investigating in my experience because there's a reason for that reaction and that could be many many different reasons but at the bottom of every reason or at the top of every mountain of those reasons there is always a nugget always because there just has to be you know if if something that you tell me even a piece of information that I couldn't care less about I'm not going to react in any capacity because I don't care but if I'm reacting in a way that is visceral in nature in some capacity even mentally or otherwise so even if that other person doesn't know that I've reacted that way but I've gone home and I've thought about it for a week and every night in bed I'm like oh that thing that Barney said what did he mean really annoyed me you know whatever that is if you can get to the crux of that there's something worth knowing about your psyche most definitely because it's probably something in my case what I've found is that it's probably something that you just weren't ready to admit and that's sort of most of the time what it is it's a truth and it's a harsh truth that you're not aware of yet and when it's told to you you have this defensive mechanism that goes off because I don't want to admit that that's something that I don't maybe it's something that goes against your values or maybe it's something that goes to go back to the mirror thing maybe or if you were outside yourself look, looking at yourself and you didn't know yourself maybe you wouldn't think too good of yourself for that thing and maybe that's why you're reacting because no I don't want to be that person that's you know seen to be that way or no I don't do that no and it's the same type of thing of when you get people and it's like, oh, that thing that that person does really bugs me. Quite often it's because you do it yourself or it's like it's somehow connected to a thing about your personality that you really wish you didn't do and it triggers you and there's that thing that that person keeps doing and you're like, oh, bloody hell, that thing. And then when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, you're like, you know what, I sort of do that too and I think that's why that thing that person does really bugs me because it brings up, you know, it stirs something up in me that's sort of like, it's too it's too familiar in some ways and it's something that you know you want to sweep it back under the rug you don't want it to come out and air it's no no sweep that back under the rug that's that's for your rug your you know keep it under your rug don't push it out here so yeah that's what i've learned um in recent times that like and sometimes the bigger the the bigger the reaction the 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 more profound the lesson You and me both have perhaps been able to handle this because we were actually expecting something much bigger than just what has ended up being a fairly minor pandemic in Australia, at least, that has caused a fair bit of disruption. It's shined a light on 
the amount of debt in our community, the the amount we have to rely on government when things turn bad, the, the amount that we looked up to big business that is now starting to sack everyone on the spot. And, you know, we were on a knife edge as a society and this has shined a light on that hopefully. And that's another area that people need to, not only on themselves and why they're acting in a certain way at home, you know, wishing that this would go away when two weeks ago they were wishing for some time. Now it's like, hey, the government is propping everything up. These mega companies that weren't potentially paying enough tax or weren't treating their workers well or or were misrepresenting and mispaying and mistreating people or whatever it might have been, they actually were in severe debt and, and weren't a sustainable industry economically and probably environmentally and, and, you know, with workers' rights and whatever as well. So, but we have been ready for something to hit for quite a while and that is climate change and the uh, not only a change in our environment and in our planet but all the things that will come from that. And one of those was going to be economic and social upheaval. So the fact is that we've almost been ready. And I I remember we spoke about this a lot and said, what is it that you're doing right now? And I remember saying that I am really trying to upskill and become a leader and become someone with a voice and become someone with lots and lots of perspectives by listening to people now rather than being an activist right now because I think based on the science and based on what, you know, smart people are saying and doing and what's going on, that we're going to need leaders and we're going to need people that are are ready for what inaction on climate change is going to bring. And right now we're seeing a tiny, tiny percentage of that, the smallest percentage of what that would look like. I'd love to hear and, and for you to take us on a little bit of your journey about sort of being unconscious. The beginning, you know, you were unconsciously unconscious. You didn't know what you didn't know. And then you sort of heard about this thing, climate change and whatever, and you, you, you heard about it but didn't know much. And then you started thinking about it often and, and really take, oh, that's the bit that you're going to take us through, I hope, about all the feelings and, and thoughts that you had then. And you've sort of come out the other side and we're talking today about the hope and the optimism that you have now, that that switch, that grief and outrage that you did have has flipped to optimism, which is a great podcast, by the way, that everyone should listen to, Outrage and Optimism. So get on it. But can you take us on that journey? Well, I'll do my best. Yeah, I mean, I can't pinpoint a time in my life where I sort of was like, oh, climate change. And there's this thing that I need to sort of, investigate as you know i'm a very 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 curious innately curious person sometimes to my detriment um and i think i think because of that i mean i was the type of kid that was always into nature i was always reading books about volcanoes and caves and yeah that type of stuff i wasn't really the type of kid that was doing anything regarding trucks or or planes or anything like that and yeah I mean my upbringing was pretty my mum loved to garden so she was you know big on recycling she was probably a a green thumb you know growing up most definitely like sort of a greeny type so I had that type of upbringing but yeah I, I mean to be honest my big shift in 
everything with the climate happened pretty recently. I mean, I can remember that it was, I think it was the end of October last year, like literally. Um, and I read, and obviously I've been, you know, <laughs> ferociously reading everything and anything I can get my hands on about most things and the climate has been that, you know, I, that's something that is always, I'm a big believer in sort of following your curiosity, allowing that sort of muscle to be honed and tangenting in places that are of interest. Some people might call that intuition. Some people may call that whatever. For me, it's just simply been, oh, that seems interesting. I'll go off in this direction. And most times I'll come back. Like if, if I read an article and if it's, you know, got five different links throughout the article about things that they're referencing, I won't be able to finish that paragraph until I've clicked on that link and read that entire article that they're referencing. I've always been that way. It takes me long times to read books that have a lot of references because I go away and I sort of really always want to understand the whole context of the thing the person's speaking about before I can really listen to what it is or, you know, take in what they're talking about. So I think through this process, I basically came to a point last, end of last October, and I read an article by Michael Nobbs, who is a, one of, he was an environmental lawyer and built, I think it was in the early 90s, it was like the first ever fully eco-sustainable house in Sydney. And he's been a big environmental advocate for years. I think he's in his 60s or 70s now. And he basically wrote an article, or there was an article on him in The Guardian, and it was about how he was selling up. He was, he was um, like, he, his house is, they have dated tours, like, every week. That's how amazing his house is, you know. You flush the toilet, the shit from the toilet fertilises the garden. Like, it's, it's amazing. And especially in the early 90s, there was nothing like it. And he basically built it and said, this is the future. You know, this is what houses are going to be like in probably, he was talking about now, probably earlier than now. And so the article was about him selling the home and moving to either Bermagui or the equal opposite point of the country somewhere in WA um, because he believed that there was a likelihood of a near-term societal collapse of some description from climate change. And, yeah, I thought it was sort of, that was the sort of first thing I'd read about, like, somebody publicly and I think previously like about a week before a month before he had he had had some big conference like environmental conference because he's a well-known guy um, in the environmental circles in Australia and he basically read them this thing that he had written and he was basically saying that yeah he was this is what he was doing so it was a very public thing for him and he actually got a lot of flack in on social media and just in general because of it because he was deemed to be running away effectively of something that he had sort of been advocating for for such a long period of time and that he was giving up and with a sense of hope and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, it sort of was hit me a bit because I didn't know Michael Mobbs really before, but I just sort of thought, okay, this is a guy who has basically put his career, I guess, sort of on the line in some... You sound like a crazy person, you know, it's saying that I'm selling everything up and moving to Bermagui because that's a place, you know, his theory was, and this is before all the fires and that type of stuff, interestingly enough, he deemed Bermagui to be very close to water and so basically water on one side or coast and trees on the other side. And he said where there's trees, 
there's good rainfall. So I think that will be a pretty safe bet was his basically his thought process. And in that article, there was a link to another post called Something Extinction by Catherine something. I think I sent it to you. It was basically, she's like a, um, it's like a Buddhist, I think, sort of like she does Dharma dialogues, does like this podcast thing, Nearing Extinction, I think it's called. And it was basically like a long-form essay that was written by her, basically took time out to to research, I guess, a bit about the science, about climate change and the climate crisis. And, yeah, just wrote this beautiful piece about how she, and she obviously being sort of a teacher in Buddhism and that type of stuff, had a different aspect of it and was more about some of the the human aspect of it and sort of our thought process and what we're potentially faced with and what we're talking about today, like being confronted with these feelings of grief and all this stuff that she was talking about was going to be just a matter of time, you know. It's a non-negotiable. This is what we're going to be faced with or confronted with whether we like it or not. So I read the Michael Mobbs, that one, and then she referenced another paper which is Jem Bendel, uh, Deep Adaptation, basically read these three things in a matter of probably a weekend, I think. And I think in the coming days, so Deep Adaptation is basically a, Jem Bendel's a UK professor and he basically put his whole career on the line by saying that he believed that there was going to be near-term societal collapse. He's a, he's not a climate scientist but is an environmental scientist that sort of advises on lots of university boards and that type of thing and he sort of called out the academic profession a little bit in saying that all this sustainable mitigation type stuff like you know changing cladding on buildings waiting for the climate crisis to happen is just nonsense you know and it's not really going to be impactful it's not meaningful and a lot of you and not really speaking the truth. Not so much that they're holding back the truth, but just that due to fear of freaking people out, basically, you're not really saying everything that you should be saying. And that your sustainable arms of your universities that you all get funded by, you know, basically that type of idea. And yeah, over that weekend, I read those three things and sort of everything else that I had been experiencing and living through and just witnessing the world around me and the intimate connections between every single thing that I'm just surrounded by each and every day. Yeah, it sort of hit me not that drastically, but like a lot of people that have read two of those things sort of, yeah, suffered with, because I shared it with a few people. Yeah, I had, a, I had elements of grief, like no doubt, over a period of about a week of just feeling the weight, I guess, of what I was reading. And also it was a knowing. Like I sort of already somehow had, I was sort of like, yeah, okay, that all fits. It fits with what I'm seeing. I didn't sort of, you know, just read a couple of articles and take it all for gospel and just be like, okay, this is the way it is. It aligned with my experience and how I view people to be living their lives and just the the unsustainable nature that humans exist on this planet. So, yeah, through that process of just saying, okay, 
shit's going to get real. Um, I think that has helped definitely with dealing with this COVID experience. And, yeah, I think when you're sort of aware that there is an uncertainty ahead, when that uncertainty is presented with you, it's not so hard to process because you're already expecting a difference. And once, you know, I've, I've been expecting a huge amount of change to happen in the world, whether we like it or not, for a considerable time now. And that sort of period of time, which is not a long time ago, really, when you think about it, October to now, not a long time, but it feels like a long time for me because my mindset has been very sold on what I believe in now. And that is, I don't know the specifics of it. And like you said, I, I had no idea this was happening, like no, no foresight into anything like that. But I knew that we were on the precipice of something and like talking a lot about tipping points and that type of stuff with climate change. This is just another one of those things, you know. Society, the fabrics were the threads that hold the fabrics of society together have been pulling apart bit by bit a lot, a lot of, through recent history. And when we think about the busyness of life and not having all those moments that we've spoken about tonight to pause and check in with the door handle or whether it's every time you wash your hands, you feel the water over your hands or whatever those moments, in those, if you don't give yourself those moments, you always feel like you don't have time because everything's flashing by you. And then before you know it, like the, the last financial crisis has been talked about so much and that's 2008. And you think, oh, yeah, that wasn't that long ago. 12 years, you know, like this is what happens when we're not being present. We're thinking in the past or in the future and time just goes past. Like how every year, God, is it July already? Christmas in two weeks? Like, how many times do you hear that? All the time because people are, yeah, they're, they're not paying attention <laughs> to what's happening. And now, like, time hasn't sped up. The fabric of time is still the same during this, this period. We just feel like we have more time because there's less stuff filling up, you know, in my opinion, distracting us from here, from where we are, like, just being in our our experience because life is long yeah but it's also short and I think it's dictated the long or short of life is dictated by the moments that you spend you know a moment can feel like a really long time in a memory sometimes but like it could just be a, a feeling of when you were sitting with a group of people in a certain setting that felt amazing and you could have that memory forever and it probably was four seconds of the actual feeling. So it's amazing how, like, if we could fill our life full of those types of moments, it doesn't have to be that exact setting, but that type of feeling, and it's like what you said earlier, like, if you, we should be following. It's like what you said with the, the monk on the Himalayas, like, you shouldn't have to wait to spend exorbitant amount of money to go on tours with, you know, people in faraway lands to feel those moments, you know? We should be able to construct those moments through really just being with ourselves. Like, wouldn't that be amazing if we could just have those moments to ourselves? Quite often I think we, we're almost like we want to we take a photo of it or we want to make sure someone's there to validate the moment. But the feeling lies with you. You can't control or know what someone else is feeling in your moment. Only you can. So why are we worried about someone else 
validating, oh, how good was that? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. And and mandatory. I, rem- I remember, and I've told this story to you before, that I remember sitting on the beach during uh, one of the weeks at schoolies, you know, we didn't go to the Gold Coast, but we went to Phillip Island. But I went on another one before that, the week before, Not I wasn't a toolie. Um, the week <laughs> not that before, year anyway. No, not that year. The, <laughs> the week before to Portsea. And I remember going to the beach and I had just had a fight with my girlfriend at the time. So I walked out of the house and walked down to the beach on my own and sat and there were dolphins, like this pot of dolphins. And I've never seen dolphins before. <laughs> and I sat there and I said, oh, this would be cool if someone was with me. <laughs> like that's how I was. Like someone mm. had to be there to enjoy it and I had to talk to someone to enjoy it. But now I'm like grateful of that experience, but so many things are probably more powerful when you're alone, you know, when you're able or, or not even on your own, but in your own mind and feeling and really taking in that experience. So how are you interacting or how, how are you a part of consciousness, that, that thing at that time, not just what your consciousness is saying, but consciousness in general. And I want to go back to, yeah, that grief you felt. I cannot believe it was October. I thought it's been years. <laughs> I guess it's shifted perspective so much and, and what we talk about has shifted towards that a lot recently. I mean, the first time I, I heard about it properly and cared was when a Melbourne Uni lecturer who was a dad of a kid at my school and he was a climate scientist and he was um, pretty high up and a professor and all that and uh, he was a father of one of the kids at my school and he came in to do a talk about what the greenhouse effect is and what climate change was and he came up with this brilliant presentation that went for about an hour about what it was because it was part of their inquiry unit. And from that moment I was – I. I talked to him afterwards all about it and emailed him and got him to send me everything he knew. And from that point, I was really interested in the science of it. And science has never really been interesting to me, but that that interested me. And that was about 2013. And then from there, it's been the science and understanding, but that's 50 years away or or whatever, you know, and, and there's a lot we can do. And it's been more recently that more and more evidence is coming out that it's actually happening. It's not in the future. It's happening. And it's probably hitting the same people that have been suffering pandemics and plagues and economic destruction and war and everything more than it is us. And we're just getting a little taste of what a pandemic, you know, what a plague, what a, what a disease feels like. But HIV, malaria, typhoid, yellow fever, tuberculosis, you know, smallpox in parts of the world, whatever, still exists. And what a disgusting, horrible thing that is and and for us to to be in melbourne or wherever we are walking around and saying and feeling heartbroken that we've finally been affected by something that the world feels every day is pretty shitty i reckon like people don't think about that and i'm not going to blame people i don't want to put blame on them but you know why are you so special that you're able to have a life without fear? Why are you so special that you're able to never experience an external um, horror? And it's happening in Melbourne. I mean, there's people living in poverty and homeless and suffering abuse and everything. I mean, it's not just that all Melbournians are perfect, but we're the most livable city on the world. I mean, as a, as a whole, we've apparently got it all. Yet there's so much in the world that doesn't, and that's 
the clash and that's where I struggle a lot um, on a personal and human level. And yes, the science is important and yes, what's happening is important, but it's who it's affecting is the most damaging. And right now, 2020, and it was supposed to be the year of climate and, and the year of making a difference. And, you know, this pandemic may have disrupted that. I hope not. But this was the year where we made the Paris Agreement look like nothing at all. And we really, as a collective business, corporations, humans, individuals, celebrities come together to say, we're going to do something about this. And we've done it with COVID. I mean, many countries have controlled it and and stifled it. And we're going to come up with a vaccine and everything will be hunky-dory, you know, because the world is united. And we had luckily some really awesome philanthropists that have gone out to do that same thing with Ebola and other things that have gone and, and spent money to help people that would never have been able to do this on their own because of the destructive forces that never allowed them to to reach the societal level that we have. But the thing is, the humans are now making such a difference to our planet that we're no longer, not that we're in harmony probably since the agricultural age, but we've we've become so powerful that we're actually disrupting the planet at a rapid rate. And and this has been told to everyone, I'm sure. But the thing is that we have to halve emissions by 2030 and then remove them completely by 2050 to have any hope. And that's looking at things in, in a hopeful way and also hoping that our models are correct. But there's no reason why things won't exponentially grow from here you know we talk about the everyone knows about this flattening of the curve that we talk about with um, cases the same thing is with the temperature rising and all the effects that that has on tide levels on storms on bushfires on droughts on everything so if we're looking at that exponential growth that happened in northern italy or wuhan early on or new york we actually are seeing that with the climate and we need to flatten that curve and hopefully the curve will flatten, hopefully, because we haven't done it yet, by halving it by 2030 and then mitigating all emissions by 2050 or uh, reducing to, to zero, to net zero. But we've actually got to, many people say we've got to do much more than that. And the fact is we think, oh, we've had a discussion of it, but I believe that we're going to be in a position that we're in right now on a permanent level fairly soon if nothing is done. So instead of wallowing in sorrow that, you know, we might have to stay indoors, what actually is our next step? When we wake up from this dream, whether you've reflected and grown and looked in the mirror and built yourself a foundation and done all the personal growth and then looked at how to grow as a person and in connection with others, how as a society are we going to learn the lesson from this to face the biggest challenge that we've ever needed to face. Will we go back to turning all the factories on overdrive and saying, well, we need jobs, let's build a Dani, and we, we go in overdrive just to, to prop up what failed us? Or do we say, hey, now's the opportunity to, to create a new green deal where we're creating sustainable jobs and, and providing hope to the world. This planet will recover when we're gone. But without our planet, we can't survive. So that's, I guess that's my, my journey alongside yours there. And, and we've come to, to discuss it quite a bit. But, but the hope now, I mean, we've talked about the despair and the problems, but we're smiling and we're, we're living life pretty happily and probably maybe more happily than ever. 
why? Where does that optimism and, and hope and affinity with life come from? What's the alternative? That's the way I look at it. The alternative to life on the other side of this, if it's what's already been or, you know, what we've just been doing, then as everything we've, we've talked about with our journeys, with sort of coming to terms, coming to peace with what we're going to be faced with, with the climate crisis, yeah, it's just there was a point that you made. You said, you know, are we just going to turn on the factories onto overdrive and, you know, do the, get the Adani mine? And then I thought to myself, yep, yep, we'd be making up for lost time. Then I thought to myself, but we're, we're complaining about, you know, how much time we have. You can't actually make up for lost time when you've just had heaps. There's no time lost. The time, time is gained right now. <laughs> so when you think about it like that, it's like, okay, we would, if we were to put, like with that analogy, put everything into overdrive, we've got to, you know, let's get the economy to churning, let's pour the coals on the fire, figuratively and literally, to make up for lost time, it's almost impossible to do that because we, we have time now. So and it's I lost think, profits. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's... See, through, and I've been very actively, you know, staying on top of every, the unfolding of the, everything that's been happening because I've just been finding it fascinating, you know. Like this is the stuff that you read about in, in history books. And, yeah, it's just a, it's, I've never lived through a time like this, you know, like where this is a monumental global event. So, yeah, I've just I've been really been living for the, the unfolding and just just wow like so many wow moments of like is this actually happening like wow like this is something that you it's like it's a black mirror episode it's um something that you just it's so crazy to think that three to four weeks ago in our in where we live everything was reasonably normal like most of the world i'd love to see a a stat which was like you know because I've read the percentage of the world that is and isn't in lockdown, but the time frame in which it's gone from nothing to lockdown, like everything that has taken place, you're seeing stimulus packages the world over, like, you know, trillions of dollars in the US. And even now what's happening in Australia, they're probably going to be more. And you think about this, like, we, like, wait every four years, you know, election cycles with parties digging their heels in. Nothing seems to happen. My God, how many things, how much red tape, how much bureaucracy do we need to go through to just get something done? And then look what's happened. It's like I love the idea that every, not everything's off the table. Everything is on the table now. There's not a single thing that shouldn't be on the table. Everything should be, this is where, we should be at our most creative, you know, most innovative. There should be no idea is too silly. Like, and it's fascinating to see every country and the slight differences in what the leaders are doing, you know, talking about putting the economy into hibernation, putting just all this terminology and hopefully, as you were saying, this is a snapshot of what is possible. If anything, like even if the world does go back to some type of previous normality, Hopefully this experience will at least show people this, what can be done on some level when we start to, you know, ask more questions about what, what's happening, what's being done about the climate crisis. And you, you can't, I can't think of a fact of when something does happen in terms of a, a global event. And, I mean, you know, we've just experienced a 
terrible bushfires that's gone through Australia and still there were lots of people resisting to any connection between the climate crisis and the bushfires. So it's clear that something as catastrophic and as visceral as the bushfires were still wasn't enough for people. And maybe with this new jargon, like you talk about flattening the curve, modelling, I mean, my God, I know how much reading you've done. I haven't done even near as much, but the science, how much do they talk about modelling with the climate? It's, it's all modelling, you know, predictions, different, different models. This has not normally been in the vernacular, but now hopefully that it is, some people, and as you know, a lot of people would rather not delve in I mean, I have to be uh, to understand that not everyone thinks like I do. Not everyone has this curiosity that they can't, you know, snuff out, that they have to go on the tangent to read about the thing. Not everyone's like that and that's fine. So we need it to be somewhat understandable for people who it's not, you know, it's nothing to do with smarts or anything like that. It's just some people just have different priorities. Some people want to direct their attention in other ways and that's completely fine. Some people love building wooden desks, you know, and that's their passion. And they would much rather read lots of books about different techniques on how to make joins in wood or something like that. And that's, that's fine. But when it becomes, you know, you would hope that some, everybody in the populace now has an idea about what social distancing means, you know, what the curve means, all this type of stuff, the hows and the whys of what we're doing on some level. If that can happen with the climate crisis, as well as sort of people talking about how we're going to make the change, because that's something that we've, we haven't got to that point in the discussion really much with the climate crisis. It's all about this is going to happen if we don't stop what we're doing. But we have to have enough people to listen almost to have the next step in the conversation. Obviously, things like 2040, the movie and that type of stuff, you know, is important because it paints the picture of what's possible. I do understand that it, it could go either way in how this all plays out and what the world could look like on the other side of COVID. But I do strongly believe that for me and you and people who have already been wholeheartedly agree with the direction that society was heading in an unsustainable manner previously, those people, their voices should be, you know, we should turn our volume up more, if, if ever. You know, there should be no reason why now shouldn't be the time to encourage those conversations, you know, like share, share what you've learned, you know, share our knowledge. The, 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 the successful parts of how governments have dealt with this is through collaboration. The National Cabinet in Australia, what a marvellous thing coming together how many times a week, you know, the thousand whatever experts. It's been so nice in a way to see politicians interacting with experts and making informed decisions and also politicians presenting to the public and explaining their fucking thought process. This is what we're doing and this is why. Brilliant. That's all we want. All we want is some justification for what you're actually doing. Don't, you know, divert away from a question and then answer it with another. Just say, this is, look, this is what we've got. This is the information we've received. This is what we're going to do from that information. And this is why. Great. Everyone can just say, okay, that seems like sound logic. And we can have some element of support 
for what they're doing. That's how you achieve things. It's not that hard. That's all we want as, a, as people is just to see a little bit of the decision-making process is huge for people to buy in what you're selling, for people to believe what you're doing is A, going to work, or B, to actually do what you're asking. Like if you're telling me to stand 1.5 metres away for people to not have indoor gatherings of two or more people, you have to tell me why because that's an unreasonable request if you don't tell me why. And for the first time in a long time, we're seeing politicians actually just say, okay, we just had a big chat in here. We had this bloke. He really knows what he's talking about. He's going to come up and talk soon. He's going to tell you all the technicalities. But me, ScoMo, I'm just going to say, look, this is, what we, this is what we've been told. This is what we're doing. And this is why this other stuff in the supermarkets, don't do that. That's silly. You know, come on, what are we doing? Just this is all we want. We just want people who sort of are like us in some ways and just tell us how it is. A bit of transparency, a bit of accountability, boom, bingo. That shift, the fact is that we had the basically the lowest ever rating of trust in our politicians than ever before, as well as trust in experts. And we've got this conspiratorial thinking that's going up and, and a real distrust in government and in real distrust in experts and this idea of attacking the elite and this populism that's coming up around the world and the backlash in places like America and, and England and, and Eastern Europe and Brazil and all these places that are just saying, no, we've been left out for so long and we're sick of this. But the thing is that we're now seeing that you know what, when you were trying to hold on to your little bit of power or whatever you thought you had and you were being careful and, and dodging questions, you were losing people. And now when you're actually telling off your citizens for, for being naughty in the supermarkets and things, you know, making people feel like kids, it's like you are a kid. Have you looked into this? This guy's been studying this for 60 years. These thousand men and women that have put their lives and livelihoods into doing this and are right now in the front lines. And we're talking together and trying to understand this together while you are saying that 5G towers did this or, or whatever, you know, like, shut up, close your mouth for now. I'm, as a politician, yes, I rely on your vote, but right now we've got more than just the vote and the next election on our mind. We've actually got a, a crisis. And when you were talking, I almost thought of that analogy when, when you actually throw caution to the wind in sport that's often the times where you come back from those massive margins or do something miraculous. It's when you, you throw away the playbook or the, uh, the tactics from prior before the event happened. And that's what the government's done. It's thrown away the, the book and, and they're being human. And Scott Morrison, who I may not agree with in many ways, was, disc was horrible in the bushfires. He was being a, a marketing guru and a politician. And he's actually won me as a person a little bit, you know, as much as a liberal politician can, can win somebody. But no, <laughs> he's, he's won me because he's been real. He's been authentic. He's actually said, you know what, yeah, I go to church and I believe in God, but right, and, and you know, I've got these free market economic points of views and whatever, but right now I'm going to focus on science. It's, I'm not telling you to, yes, pray, do what you need, but the science is what's going to win us this battle. And secondly, that the second thing that's going to win is listening to experts, you know, the science, doing all the, the right things, telling you citizens that don't know what you're doing what to do, but not treating you like idiots and, and, and almost like peasants. You're treating them as people that need to know why with respect. 
you know, I'm don't, coming don't here. Don't insult my intelligence. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. It's, it's yes, if you're doing the wrong thing, I'm going to actually tell you that you're doing the wrong thing because you're old enough to hear it. And also, we're going to get you the cutting edge of what we've just heard an hour ago on your screens. And if you're, if you want to hear it, you can. This is what, why, and what we're doing and why, as you said. But the big thing is that human, the heart, the idea of using science, but then also using respectful speech to to bring it upon. And and the other thing is that giving up that idea of, I remember recently that Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer, recently like walked in and said, oh, you know, he was he was going on about the welfare system and how the the Labor Party or whatever want to, you know, he was really demeaning of like the bleeding hearts almost. And now they're giving out these stimulus packages and realizing, hey, it's actually pretty bad. Yeah, like when there's a few unemployed people that, you know, don't really have much say in an election and, you know, I'm happy to give them 550 bucks a week and or a fortnight and say live off that. But now they've actually had to say, you know what, what matters is people's well-being because we as a government, as a society, our whole economic system relies on these people. So when people are losing jobs, we can't say bad luck. We've actually got to give them double what New Start was and a living wage and holding rent and, and assistance and massive packages of assistance that they're they're proud to give. And that's very different from what a conservative government would normally do. And Trump's doing the same in America. And, I mean, that's more Congress, which is, you know, not him. But, you know, Britain's doing the same. So it's almost giving tools to someone that had staunch beliefs to say, hey, it's actually okay to give handouts when people need it because it actually helps us in the long run. And 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 on the flip side of that is that when we had the bickering that was going on and the, the babyish, horrible behaviour that made people not trust politicians, you know, screaming at each other over the benches and whatever. And now Albanese, you know, the Labor leader, the opposition leader said, ScoMo, it's in your hands. You've got the experts around you. You're listening. You're giving us some feedback and allowing us to be involved. But here you go. So it's it's collaboration. And how much better is it? How much better does our country run and look when you've got people with different viewpoints and different ideas in a room working together rather than saying, no, I'm going to yell at you louder than you can yell at me because I'll win the next election because of that. And that's all that matters. Just like only profits matter, not profits for what end? What is the purpose? If profits actually lead to a better quality of life for everyone, fantastic. Let's have more. But if it's just economics for economics sake, while well-being goes down and poverty rises and inequality, you know, gets bigger, why are we doing it? So these are the questions we need to, you know, start to hopefully answer once we've come over, come out of this crisis. It's a pretty special time, as you said. We should probably be writing a diary every day and putting it in some sort of time capsule because this is, yeah, this is not normal. I've been saving some articles that I've been reading, like just the the web links of just like opinion pieces of what people think that it may, you know, society might look like in the future just because I'll be interested to check back to see who or if anyone was even remotely close. And also I thought it would be interesting because we don't know how long this is going to go for. So as it progresses, if we're still 
in seeming lockdown, you know, for the, until the end of June, let's say, that's still, you know, the best part of two months away. We haven't, how long have we been locked down? What, a, a few weeks? Yeah, just to see how different people's thoughts are, are tracking and not so much with what's actually happening in terms of changes in that. But I thought, yeah, because it's, it's very interesting. Interesting to read for people who are in that space, like economists or whatever, a lot of people who are into the climate crisis and that type of thing, there's, a, there's an eagerness, and I feel it too in myself, maybe you do as well, to know what's on the other side, you know? Like this is an opportunity to, for something, even if it's a smidge, even if it's a sliver of an opportunity at, at something. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, everything that we know to be completely wiped away and something new or completely upside down or whatever. But if there is big chunks of society that can be rethought of to be more beneficial and plentiful for the many, and we've seen that's possible in a matter of moments with huge amounts of money, money being printed that doesn't even exist for people, for the sole purpose of people to lessen their suffering, quite literally, by the government, which is their their sole job, in my opinion, is to make decisions for the best of the people, then, yeah, maybe we might have a populace that might be more, well, hold on, did that that add that, you know, um, that that they speak very quickly and it goes for for 30 seconds? Did that just say $100 million cut from the health, health care? Hold on a minute. We've just gone through a pandemic and they were struggling. I don't think that's a good idea. You know what I mean? Like just basic, let's start to draw connections on what we need and what's important because, yeah, politics, it's, it's a fairly boring subject for many people, but it's a vital cog in getting shit done. <laughs> and that's, that's the, the nuts and bolts of it, you know? Like it's, it needs to be there and, it, and amazing things can happen amazing things can can be changed there's just seems like the systems that we have are archaic and the cogs in the wheel move very slowly and everything's a fiscal quarter whatever you know all this stuff and it's like actually that's all made up by us we can unmake it we can change it whatever we can make it whatever the hell we want they're the people in the most powerful position in the country they can literally do whatever they want and if the people are in need, in enough need that their status as that position of leadership would be in such peril if they didn't help the people that actually put them there, well, that should be the basis of every decision they make almost. You know, that should be, that should be their sole purpose. Scummer should wake up every morning and just think, okay, what am I going to do today to make the Australian people's lives that little bit better? The individual, I mean, I often get caught up in the meta, in the, in the big picture, but the individual is so important here too. And as you said earlier, the person that's making um, desks or, you know, wooden objects or whatever is vitally important to making this world a better place too. You know, they might create something for someone or teach someone how to make and, and use their hands and, you know, they're being mindful with their time potentially, you know. And the thing is it's about leaving certain jobs to the people that are doing it. It's, we often, 
watch something on the news or read a couple of articles and think that we know it all. And I'm not, and you know, we might get caught up in that sometimes, but often the times I think we've started to realize how maybe little influence we have, but also how little we know. And that's what gives us power. The fact that we don't know much, it's these people that probably don't know much and are just maybe fearful of letting, of realizing that they don't know much on that topic that need to give it to the experts. Now it's the experts turn. And it is when people's lives are on the line it should be with something like climate, which is probably harder to see, or maybe with bushfires. The you know, prior to the bushfires happening, there were many predictions of it occurring, and plenty plenty of solutions that may have lessened the the horror of what actually happened, but it wasn't listened to. So I think it's time now for individuals to be passionate about what they're passionate about, which is maybe something a lot simpler than the the bigger picture in the world. Be informed. Be ready to respond by knowing where to look if you need to, but don't just say, you know what, I'm anti-immigration always because my mate told me a story about some immigrant, so I'm going to listen to that. And then that's your viewpoint on that forever. And then same with another conspiracy theory or same with um, the economics or something. Let's leave it to the experts, hold people to account, Make sure that we're not being exploited and that the the wrong, the experts aren't, you know, uh, somehow guiding us to a place of malice and harm. But in a democracy, it's really important to know who the experts are, how to keep them to account, and then to also realise your place. And, you know, right now, we need to praise the people on the front lines of the health services, the doctors and nurses putting themselves at harm. We need a, the police that are probably doing extra shifts or whatever, what, watching out for what's going on or and, and acting respectfully to people too. Or the government that's in overdrive, you know, if someone's doing a press conference every night, what are they doing during the day that they're able to to do that? How hard would that be? You know, like I think everyone that's doing something about this right now people doing the vaccines, all the companies that have decided to make masks instead of clothing, you know, we should celebrate this and say, hey, great job. You know what? Maybe pay your Bangladeshi workers more when we're out of this now, you know, do something else that's good. Or perhaps you can realize that, you know what, maybe the bit of a wage jump. So, you know, profits aren't as important because you relied on these workers that they're back straight away for you. You know, they're doing a lot for us, these people. The, this this world and if we come together and realize that that we are one that's where the the lesson that's the lesson to learn from this we are one and we're feeling it as one and right now maybe australia is able to do something more radical or america because the world is feeling it if it was only one country in this problem could you see these stimulus packages happen could you see everything being flipped on its head i think it's because it's allowed everyone's focused on what they're doing now not what the world's doing that people are collaborating rather than being competitive, that you're able to actually do what you need to do for your people and your citizens and for the world because we've got to remember some countries actually don't have the capabilities to protect themselves at the moment. So it's up to us to invest more in foreign aid and and things like that too. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about. We've been talking for so long. Do you have anything that you'd like to to finish on? Uh, just a quick one, just as, as uh, our mates Gomo said, everybody's doing their best. And it just goes on from what you just said, you know, like literally everybody's doing their best from every person who's still working 
to everybody who's, you know, in self-isolation, like quite literally without having to do it for 14 days. Everybody is doing their best. And I think it's important to be kind to ourselves. Yes, it's very important to be kind to the other, most definitely. But I think it's very difficult to be wholeheartedly kind to another if you're not really that kind to yourself. And I think in this time of a lot of introspection and self-reflection and isolation, quite literally, it's a very good time to really get to know yourself. But like like you mentioned before, take stock of, of where you are, who you are, what's your value system, you know, like all this type of stuff is important. And, yeah, just let yourself off, your, off the hook, you know. It's a, it's a confusing time for everybody. We don't have to do everything at once. We don't have to do mountain, move mountains. I mean, if, you've, if you want to put that varnish on the gates and you've always wanted to do that, then absolutely do it. But if today you don't want to do it and you just want to read a book or go for a walk, well, that's also a good time to do that as well. You know, slowing life down now is, will be very beneficial, um, most definitely, because there's no doubt it's going to speed up again. There's no doubt. So let's do it. Thanks, Kyle, for this. It's been great to have this chat. This will be some sort of like bonus episode and hopefully, well, depending on how long I'm stuck indoors, these bonus episodes might become more regular and have conversations with yourself and, and other people to uh, that go against the grain of what the moments of clarity was, but really topical and, and hopefully informative stuff too. I've, I've really been intrigued and riveted by this discussion and your insights. So that's usually a good sign that someone else may enjoy it. So thanks heaps. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Let's do it again. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Twitter or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on momentsofclaritypodcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.